This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Welcome to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of low-budget cinema. The sleep of reason gives birth to monsters. Hi, my name's Chris, and along with Jeff, we're bringing you the very best and worst of horror, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic wasteland, kung fu, and women in prison movies from the 1960s to today. Check us out at reallyawfulmovies.com, part of the Crypt TV family. Welcome to a special episode of the Really Awful Movies podcast, episode 68B. We're talking with the men behind four incredibly, disturbingly awesome short films, Consumption, Worm, Familiar, and Air. Zach Green and Richard Powell, together, they make up Fatal Pictures. So, we're talking about, with the men behind Fatal Pictures, Richard Powell and Zach Green. Richard, how are you? Oh, good. Good, good. How are you? Good. And, uh, Zach, how are you doing? I'm oh, good, thanks. Thanks. So, you guys uh, co-founded uh, Fatal Pictures in 2007, correct? Yes, we did. Um, my Richard and I, we met, uh, we met back in film school here in Toronto in 2002-03, uh, mm-hmm. where we initially met. And um, I was actually in post. I was editing a film for Richard that he pitched to the faculty and we got picked up this film. And he was looking for an editor. Um, I was at school for post-production. I happened to apply to the ad that was posted. And that's initially how I uh, started my rapport with Richard, was essentially in the editing room. And uh, you guys have made um, four pretty fucking awesome short films, in my opinion, starting with uh, Consumption, and then Worm, uh, following up with Familiar, and your latest one, Air, which is now sort of making the uh, the festival rounds, and congratulations on winning um, Best Short Film uh, at the uh, Morbido Film Festival. Yes, that was uh, Mayor's um, first uh, first award, and hopefully not the last. I hope not, because I mean, I um, when I first saw it, I mean, I was I was reviewing basically every short film that was uh, going to be playing at Toronto After Dark. So there's about thirty short films, and you know, not wanting to play favorites, I pretty much said that Air was my favorite of the bunch. There is something very amazing about that film, and I want to talk to you guys about it a bit later. But before we talk about your films in particular. So you, you guys met in uh, 2007 now. What made you uh, decide to start Fatal Pictures? Uh, well, so uh, just to correct you, we actually met back in 2002 right, at so, film school. Yep. And uh, I, uh, we graduated film school in 2003, four, and went on to producing, um, just producing films together. And then uh, too late 2006 rolled around. And uh, me and Richard we started talking, and we figured we wanted to uh, start a proper production company and incorporate it, and market, uh, excuse me, and market our uh, first film under the company, which uh, was uh, we started the company in 2007. Um, the following year came our first picture, Consumption. Now, so uh, Zach, you're the producer, and Richard, you're the writer and director, correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. That's kind of um, the, the way we decided to, I guess, structure our partnership is. We both kind of have different strengths. Um, I, I, I tend to something towards the creative side, and Zach kind of gets like, a little bit more, feels more comfortable at this point doing a lot of the logistics, 
religion things, uh, making deals, promotions. And um, the, the great thing is you don't have two guys who want to do the exact same thing. So we kind of are actually one entity that has the benefit of having two uniquely, uh, two uniquely, I guess, uh, talented people in different areas. And that, that really gives an advantage over, I think, a lot of competitors. And I even had a conversation with lots of people that I uh, work with and have talked to and work over years. And they're always kind of amazed that Wayne and Zach work because it's something that I have like no interest in. He kind of just naturally comes in there and fills in and does such a great job at that. And then with me creatively, uh, the same thing. I just. I obsess about my writing and trying to get the next film going. And what's great too is we both can do the other thing that like Zach has an interest in eventually writing and directing. And mm-hmm. I, I, I can do the producing stuff too, but what's great is I let Zach take care of that so I can do what I want to do and vice versa. So it's an interesting and interesting partnership and it's been working out great so far. And I love uh, the medium of uh, short films, but uh, I want to ask you guys, why did you uh, decide to go the short film route as opposed to the feature? Uh, I think, I mean, the reality, I think, is short films, they don't have a lot of glamour and glitz and fun associated with them. Uh, It's kind of, uh, you know, it's looked down upon by a lot of people. I mean, all the time they're having guys tell tell us, why are you wasting time with shorts? Why don't you just try to do the feature? Mm -hmm. I've kind of, I finally gotten to the point where I realized it's like not doing short films is the same thing as somebody going to the Olympics and not training. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you're doing yourself a disservice uh, to learning the craft. Like, I don't want to just make a, a feature film. I want to make a good feature film. And I think the only way I'm ever going to get up to that challenge is by doing these shorts, uh, learning what I'm good at, and then the things I'm not good at, improving on those the next time around. And, uh, you know, eventually when we get that feature in, it's, been, it's not just going to be good, it's going to be great, mm-hmm. and it's going to make up for all of the time that we have as we're making a feature, and we're going to kind of jump further ahead than a lot of the people who just come out of the gate making a mediocre feature that maybe doesn't have the traction because they didn't know what they were doing, they weren't working with the right people, they didn't have the right amount of money. Uh, so we're just kind of learning the ropes now, and it's kind of comforting to know that we can make mistakes, and mistakes aren't quite as high right now because it's just short, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, we take it deadly serious, yes. but it's great to know that we're still in the training stages. So when, it, when the, real, the real performance comes, the real show comes, which is features, I think we're going to be ready for it. So yeah. that's kind of my take on why shorts are very important. I also love short storytelling. Like, my favorite author is H.P. Lovecraft, and he almost exclusively wrote short short stories. Right. Mm-hmm. So, at Stephen King, uh, Clive Barker, a lot of these people write a lot of short stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, it's great. So, I don't know. I, I, I've always loved short medium, and uh, yeah. I would love to continue making them, even when you make features. Hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, yeah, of course, a lot of aspiring filmmakers want to, you know, just jump right in and dive right in and make uh, that feature film. But, I mean, the fact that you guys said, yeah, I mean, I, that is a very apnality in terms of, uh, you know, kind of uh, walking before you can run. But at the same time, like, I feel you guys are running because, I mean, your short films are absolutely incredible. I mean, they're so, they're, they're absolute uh, gut punches. Um, really, really uh, challenging, harrowing, psychological horror um, with really, really uh, resonating themes, um, unbelievable stuff. So, I mean, I just want to, you know, congratulate you guys on making some incredible shorts. Well, thank you. I mean, it's, we're, we're just glad that they get any kind of 
you know, reception or recognition at all. I mean, like, when I found out that there had won Morbido, mm-hmm. I was completely surprised. I, I don't think about awards at all. And I had this conversation with a lot of people as a filmmaker. I don't think about awards. And don't get me wrong, it's great to win them. But if you go around expecting them, uh, it's one of those things that when you don't get them, you're going to get down and you're going to start becoming motivated by getting these type of things like awards or big festival selection or great reviews. These things are very important. At the end of the day, the thing I'm most worried about is just being satisfied with uh, what, what we've done. And the great thing with these shorts is I'm always happy with them, but there's so much that I want to do better. And the next short will hopefully feature an opportunity to improve. So, um, it's, it's great, though, to hear that anybody responds to them, and it's always a surprise, and it's always always such a warm feeling to know that somebody else has kind of picked up on your frequency or what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, thank you very much. But now, before we talk about the actual pictures, I want to ask you, so how do you go about uh, raising funds for your uh, for your films? Sorry, do you want to handle some of that? Yeah, so for all of our films from consumption to, I guess I'll say, familiar was uh, self-finance, Because, I mean, I basically, um, I look at Worm, Familiar, and Air as almost like a bit of a trilogy. I mean, of course, I mean, Robert uh, Nolan is in all three, so that's a connective thread. Um, But there's also, I mean, Worm and Familiar is interesting in the sense that Robert Nolan plays twin brothers, correct? That's right, yeah. Um, But what I'm seeing from Worm to Familiar, I mean, okay, you have these two twin brothers, and there's a very, you know, there's just, there's a a connective thing with the the inner monologue of these two people that are somewhat um, kind of going insane. <laughs> um, and then, but with uh, Worm, it was very much, I mean, it was just human element in the sense it's just a man going insane. And, and then we get to familiar and, you know, you're starting to introduce the, the, the creature elements, but in my opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my interpretation was it was quite metaphorical. Yeah, I mean, the thing was familiar, he could kind of take it however he wanted. Uh, was the creature literal, or was it 
or was it just some sort of a manifestation of his broken psyche? I mean, I don't really... I mean, there were things at the end of the film that maybe kind of point more in one direction than the other, but I do like the idea uh, that somebody could read familiar as it could be a literal interpretation, like he literally had something living inside of him, or the metaphorical approach, which I enjoy, and that's something that I did again with Air. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? So I, I, I always respond best to films that sort of allow you to have multiple readings, or a, some, a really a very deep subtext, and with uh, familiar, that's just sort of what I was offering. Like, you could take it either way. And then we get to Air, and then me and... Air, in my opinion, is, is an incredible piece of art for a few reasons. Number one, it's um, it's disturbing, which is what great art does. It's uh, polarizing, I think, because of some of the themes that you, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it explores. But the, the interesting thing is the themes are not... Um, you don't beat the audience over the head with the themes. It's sort of, it's there. It's very, very creepy. But it's like it's up to the audience to interpret, you know, what the fuck is going on here. I have my own interpretations. I don't want to spoil... Air for those that haven't yeah. seen it, but it's some really fucked up stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it, I don't know that the intent is to polarize, but the intent was definitely to to to, to not worry about how an audience is going to react to something. I think a lot. I think a problem with certain films, especially films that claim to be horror films or just very, just very serious dramatic films, mm-hmm. they, they worry about uh, what's going to happen when certain people see the film or, or how it's going to be received by wider audiences. And I, I, don't get me wrong, there's there's all sorts of room for fake sanitized cinema, but I kind of love cinema that feels dangerous and it feels a little edgy. This film does not in any way go in your face with any kind of explicit graphic imagery. It's all in the suggestion, right? But um, the, the, the great thing, and just like I did with one, um, where there's no actual on-screen violence, it's all the power of suggestion, right? So, with Air, my goal, again, wasn't to polarize, but it, it was just not caring. I, I, I just, I didn't really care what people's reaction would be. I just knew there would be a reaction because we are dealing with things that aren't often dealt with, especially not in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, most horror films, you know what I mean? They, they're, they're there to kind of make the audience have a hoot and a good time. And, and, and you go in there and there's no stakes and you come out and, oh, that was fun. They, they got away and they killed the bad guy and half of them died. I can't wait for the sequel. What was there? When that thing ends, like when we were sitting at the Tron After Dark screening, it ended and there was silence right. for like a couple of seconds and then the people clapped. And that's because I know what happened. They just saw something they weren't expecting to see. And that's what I think is important and what we want to do with it. I'm like, show things people aren't expecting to see. But I'm, it's interesting too because I mean, like, with you're right. Like, I mean, with familiar. Um, I'm sorry, my mistake. Uh, with worm, purely psychological in the sense that, like, it just starts off like, okay, it's, a, it's basically a day in the life of this man who's like a completely uh, normal man, and you know, it's almost like it's reaching this crescendo, and you're ready for something explosive to happen, and then it doesn't. But then yes. the way it ends, it's like, well, tomorrow's another day, and right. it can happen then. And he's out there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. There's also another element to that film that I wanted to have a certain impact on the audience. So, we start watching the film, and for, you know, I guess it's 21 minutes, 22 minutes long. Mm-hmm. I'd say for the first couple of minutes, the things he's thinking, his internal monologues, they're kind of dark, but they're also 
relatable in a way because he has this kind of exhausted, tired, belabored, working man attitude that I think anybody who is maybe a little sick and tired of the job or sick and tired of dealing with coworkers and people can relate to. So you're kind of on board with this guy. And then you find yourself being dragged kind of into this relationship with somebody who you thought you knew. And by the time you realize who he really is and how dark and how deep this deep this dark and dark this hole is that you got into, you get you know, you get the reveal of the gun, you get the reveal of this suitcase. Which in the suitcase itself is sort of is like a physical manifestation of his mind. It's literally been opened up and you get to look inside of his brain. And then there's death and devastation of violence. And I feel like killing the violence off which has been the psychological impact of everything that came before because I think what was interesting, and I saw this reaction, there were some people when they first saw him, they were actually expecting the shooting to happen. It was understandable, I was setting it up. But what I noticed and what I thought was going to happen did happen is some people actually kind of were disappointed that the shooting didn't happen. Because as a horror film, like we were marketing it as, you expect the violence. Right. So when they didn't get it, people kind of felt let, let down. And what I found interesting about that is, here's this guy that you're thinking is a scumbag way into the film, but you're kind of disappointed you didn't see him shoot a bunch of kids. So it's kind of this interesting little game on playing with the audience. But that's that's what I appreciate about the films that, uh, of your that you guys have made is that I mean you guys don't go for the the jump scares you don't go for you know basically the uh, the the sort of cheap exploitive elements that uh, the audience might be expecting you go for something a lot more cerebral and I think that's what you know gives them a much more um, re- gives it a lot more resonance and um, getting back to air I um, you know talking about you know psychological and cerebral I mean. Again, you know, I watch this movie, and from the very second you establish a tone, and that tone is, is absolutely creep. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with uh, Bill Obers Jr. I mean, his, his, his not to get anything away from Robert Nolan, who's fantastic in all three of your stories, but Bill Obers Jr., man, is he redefined creepy. Yeah, Bill's amazing. Uh, he, yeah, Bill's just, a, a, just an incredible talent. Yeah. And, but, I mean... It was amazing to work with, uh, to see Robert Nolan playing the, the opposite character that he usually plays. Robert Nolan essentially is really like the character that Bill is to a degree in Worm is Familiar, mm-hmm. like the dark, really dark uh, guy. And he's so not like that in Air. He plays almost the opposite type of character in a way. You could almost call him the uh, protagonist. Except when you realize what he's doing in the film as well. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, but that's what I find fun about the movie, is that moral ambiguity. Uh, who, who am I fighting with? Whose journey is this? And yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's, just to watch those two play off one another was just like sparks flying. It was just, it was amazing. Like, Robert, I think the most talented actor me and Richard have worked with in, in Toronto, in Canada, I should say, thus far. And Bill definitely is uh, one of the hardest working independent horror actors, I should say, uh, genre actors in the States. And it was just such an amazing honor. And just, it was just incredible to, to bring these two together and, and, and watch with Richard's words on a paper come to life. It was, it was, it was, it was crazy. Uh, the cinematography by Michael Yari Davidson was just phenomenal. Um, the, the music, Everything was just amazing. Christopher, um, I can't even pronounce his last name. Google it. <laughs> Google it. Okay, uh, our co 
producers usually usually uh, scores our co-producers' films, uh, Red Sneakers. Um, that was another big part of the movie. We worked with a uh, co-production company, Red Sneakers, which Richard and I met on the festival circuit when we were touring Air back in 2010. Mm-hmm. Where, uh, Mark and Ron were, um, they were on the festival circuit with one of their films called Remote. And we, admit, we initially met at a film festival back, um, yeah, what did I say, 2010, I think. And, uh, and we just kept, we kept in touch ever since and just, you know, would bounce ideas off one another. We just really respected one another, genuinely liked each other. And um, this was a great opportunity to work together. Um, so with working with this co-production company, crowdfunding um, our, our, our last film, um, we're all really great new things and working with an amazing talent like Bill was just, um, was just again, like Richard was saying earlier, this is all stuff getting us ready for the feature film. It's like training. Um, the days are potentially, who watch, I shouldn't say that, our days are fucking long on set. Um, but, um, well, it's just, it's just getting, it's just getting us ready, you know, um, we're mentally getting ready because like after a day after a full day 10-12 hours you're fucking drained you're mentally drained sure, yep. and it's just it's just getting us ready for the big game for the for the bigger show that's like a month or a, I don't know however long the principal photography will last but for films yeah they're just getting us ready uh, for, for the feature and we just couldn't be happier with the feedback and the responses again it, it's an award just getting into a film was a typical um, length of production for your uh, for the three shorts that we were talking about Worm, Familiar, and Air? I would say and correct me if I'm wrong Richard I would say they were shot over about uh, like I think they were both like around five days I think well uh, Worm was over two weekends because we had to shoot in the school um, yeah because some of it was a high school yeah and we had yeah. to uh, strategically shoot when clearly there was no class we'd have to bring our crew in and dress you know the production designer our department had to dress up the rooms and whatnot mm-hmm. how we wanted and, and then uh, uh, yeah it was five days and it, uh, it was four days did the high school know the subject matter of the film uh, before they agreed to let you shoot there uh, there's a funny story about that um Here's the thing, knowing we needed a school, and knowing that we had a school that was interested, um, what they asked for was us to submit the script. Mm-hmm. I, at this point, we'd already lined up all of the elements, we'd, we'd made agreements to rent the gear to get all of our cast and crew, so I wasn't really willing to risk with them shutting the movie down by saying, you can't, and this is a Catholic high school, oh, wow. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't going to allow them to not let us shoot there, so what I did is I kind of went through the warm screenplay, and I essentially dummied down all of the dialogue. I took out all of the, the, the Barbie, anything that kind of seemed really sharp and mean. And at the end of it, I think I put in some tag where the idea is he was possessed or something. So it just made it seem like there was some kind of a cheesy supernatural element. And it wasn't this depraved semen horror story. And uh, who knows if they ever actually read it. I don't know. But I wouldn't have felt comfortable submitting the real script. So I didn't. And essentially, uh, it's like showing teachers in a bad light. It mm. wouldn't have been the... But it's yeah, not. But you never know how that could have been uh, misinterpreted. They could have thought that this was some sort of an indictment on the education system, which it's not. 
Um, it's just one guy's story who happens to be a teacher, and uh, we never know how, and then all of a sudden we don't get to shoot there, and um, our film is in big trouble, so didn't let that happen. <laughs> and the, the scary thing about these, these pictures were familiar air. These characters Richard's creating are actual people living amongst us in this world, but exactly. you just wouldn't know it until you open a newspaper and a tragedy, tragedy just happened. That's, that's probably one of the scariest things that I think, and a lot of people come to me and tell me, yeah, you know, these movies are terrifying because they're fucking real. Like, there's nothing out of the ordinary. They're not, there's no aliens. There's none of this sci-fi kind of stuff. They're just real, crazy, scary individuals, basically in dramatic settings. Mm -hmm. Which makes it even scarier, because you have these crazy characters living in, like, real dramatic settings. And you're just waiting for them to blow up. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, but before I go there, I was going to say the one line that I hope you took out of the uh, the script for Worm before presenting the school was uh, my favorite line, and is where if you parted that greasy mop of yours, we'd find a whole bunch of stars yeah, yeah. <laughs> left by your mom's coat hanger. I mean, that's poetry. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I, I definitely don't think the captain of the school board got to see that line. <laughs> but, but yeah, there was a, that's a really, yeah, it's a really ongoing Without a doubt, and as you said before, I mean, as the character continues, yeah, of course, you know, at the beginning you might sympathize with them, yeah, you know, I mean, we all go through this 9 to 5 grind, and we all have these feelings of this, like, boredom and ennui and frustration, but yeah, as, as it continues on, he just gets more and more unhinged, and more and more like, okay, this, this man is, he's not all there, there's something really seriously fucked up about him, and it is scary, and going on, moving on to Familiar, the same thing, and with Air, and like you said before, you know, I mean, I love horror of all sorts. I mean, I love creatures, I love monsters, I love all that stuff, but there's nothing scarier than men, than humanity, you know? Because yeah, they live among us. I mean, you have to, there's a leap of faith whether or not, you know, ghosts exist or whether, you know, uh, Freddy Krueger is out there. I mean, you gotta be sort of like, you know, sort of like take that like leap and say, okay, I believe in the supernatural or whatever, but I mean, we all know what humanity is capable of and we sort of know it on a grand scale but on the other hand, I mean, individual humans, you know, the guy sitting next to you on the subway, the guy teaching your kids, man, That's like, yeah. we don't know what's in there. I mean, you can take the scariest movie, you mean the scariest movie you could think of, I'll just throw you off one ISIS website and you tell me what you're more worried about, you know what I mean? It's and totally true. One's very real and happening right now in 2015, and one is complete belief, you know what I mean, so... Go down to Mexico, you know what I mean? Some some of these cartel areas. <laughs> you think Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees is scary? I don't think so, man. Cartels are scary. So, mm -hmm. humanity, yeah, it's the scariest thing ever. Um, and I, I 100% what you said. I love all types of horror. Like, what I say about, you know, maybe slashers or any type of subgenre in horror, I love all of it. It's just this happens to kind of be the thing that I guess I'm tapped into and I'm capable of doing. So, I just have obviously, if I'm talking about my work, that's the thing that I'm able to talk about, I guess, most passionately. But I love all of it equally, so. In some of the dialogue, I mean, that you have, that you put into the minds of these characters are <laughs> just unbelievable, you know? Um, I'm watching it go. I mean, there's, uh, you know, choice words like, uh, you know, for example, familiar when he says uh, Robin Nolan's character, uh, John Dodds is his wife, you know, please don't touch me, you pig, and <laughs> just things like that. I just, I, it's, it's just things that, you know, we think, but we don't, you know, we don't have, it's all... But you won't admit to thinking it. 
Exactly. It's our internal monologue. And, you know, it's funny because we look at these, um, the people in the street that we call, you know, so-called crazy, you know? The ones that are sort of shouting at the heavens, the ones that are talking. Well, they're not crazy. I mean, they, it's just that their internal monologue is external, you know? Yeah, absolutely. They're yeah, saying... Some of, my, uh, some of my favorite dialogue in Familiar is just the opening scenes when you're just, you know, you're, you're just looking through the house and, and you see them in bed, like... I just, I, it's, it's like I watch the movie and I'm just like, shit, I've thought these things before. Like, it's just crazy how even I can relate to some of this, to some of it. Not like the crazy, you know, but when it gets really dark and deep, but like, everyone can relate to this. You know, whether or not you're going to act on it or just think it, or it really is scary. And that's what makes, I think, what makes these characters that much scarier, because it's real. They can feel, they are out there, not they can be, they are. Mm-hmm. And another thing too is the thing, the thing that all of the films do and that I'm interested in continuing to do is a lot of horror deals kind of with these extremes, these extremes of masked killers or demonic possessions where the stakes are always life and death, right? Um, there's a lot of horror and there's a lot of really scary stuff um, in, 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 in subtlety and in, in subtle human indifference and in, in cruelty and selfishness. I think real evil isn't born out of a desire to murder. It's born out of being selfish. It's, it's, it's putting your needs before somebody else's. Mm-hmm. And a perfect example of that is, you know, like, natural resources. You know what I mean? Like, if there's, if there's two tribes fighting over a hole of water, right, you don't kill them because you hate them. You kill them because you don't want them drinking their water. And that's based out of selfishness. Mm-hmm. And a lot of horror doesn't deal with that. A lot of horror just is, oh, this guy wants revenge because he drowned in the lake and they ignore him. Or, you know what I mean? Uh, there, I think a lot of real motivations for a lot of real human evil is very small, subtle things that doesn't ever really get explored. Some of those things might be frustrated ambition, might get warm, mm-hmm. or unfamiliar, you know what I mean? Somebody feels like uh, they didn't live the life they wanted. And then in there, it's just frustrated desire. Uh, and an ability to cope with your own uh, DNA and your genetics that are compelling you to do something that your whole life you fought against and that is wrong, but you have to do it anyways because it's driving you to. Um, I just think there's a lot more room for exploration of subtle horror. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen a lot. I think that's our little niche that we're starting to carve out. Yeah, and I think you sort of hit the nail on the head when you said um, frustration, because that's that's really the link of those of being familiar and um, air. It has to with whether it's a frustration in your day to day existence, your job, or your desires. It's an inability to express what's inside, so that when you do, so you ultimately just explode into these horrific ways. So that I, I guess that would be the connective thread between these three films. Yeah, 
I'd be remiss in asking both of you. I mean, first of all, uh, you know, what are what are some of your favorite horror films, and also what were some of your uh, inspirations? Um, like, I would say some are very early. From the first time I saw it, I just fell in love with the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. I just think it's just such a it's just such a perfect example of what a horror film is. Um, it, it genuinely horrifies, all, even after all of these years. Um, in a personal and unexpected ways, where the characters in that movie are all very human, even the villains, uh, it's, again, they're just, it, there's no weird, there's no psycho, there's no supernatural explanation, it's just, it's just, it's really, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just a messed up spot that these kids happen to wander into. Exactly. And bad things happen, and I just put them so pure and simple about that, and it's just the execution, and it's just, like, it's such a brilliant character, um, Are you um, familiar with? I mean, you must be, especially working the short genre, um, short film genre. Uh, Douglas Buck. Douglas Buck. You know, it's funny. He's actually somebody that I wasn't aware of until after I made familiar. People started making. Uh, they started talking. I don't even remember like what the comparison is, other than the fact that I guess it was like self mutilation or something. Mm-hmm. And then, I, and then they started researching him. Um, I started researching him, and it's uh, Cutting Moments is the, the main one that he did, right? Yes. That's kind of the one that got him his most notoriety. Mm-hmm. And so, what's funny is, I, had, I hadn't heard about that until we released Familiar, and then Familiar got into Fantasia, and when we were at Fantasia, Douglas Buck was there in the screen, and I actually went up and introduced myself, so that's actually kind of a weird way that I ran into him, so... Well, no, I mean, it's to me, it's, I mean, it's a compliment because, I mean, like I said, like, Cutting Moments is up there, like I said, with some of the most disturbing things I've ever seen, and I've seen a lot of disturbing stuff, and your films are, are up there as well. I mean, Era left me uh, shaken. When I when I was done, I, I, I was like, whoa. You know, like, I liked it, but then I felt like, should I like it? You know what I mean? There, like, there was this real feeling of, like, something, I just saw something that was extremely transgressive, extremely um, taboo-shattering, and yet, at the other hand, extremely brilliant. And that's why I really appreciated Air. I just thought, 
an unbelievable piece of work. I really appreciate that a lot. Mm -hmm. And we'd be remiss as well if we didn't talk about the effects work in, in air, which is pretty incredible as well. We worked with uh, yeah, a company, uh, The Butcher Shop, yep. here in Toronto. They, uh, we did uh, the Distabilier, uh, Ryan Lawaji, Carlos Enriquez, great guys. Mm -hmm. uh, Ryan actually was, uh, we met Ryan back, me and Richard met Ryan back, took a meeting with Ryan back in like 2005 um, when we were, uh, when we set out to do consumption. There was a lot of, um, that was a true story, based on a true story about a cannibal. Um, so there was a lot of heavy effects, a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of, lot of pretty heavy effects and blood, and you can imagine, with uh, cannibalism. And uh, so Ryan, uh, yeah, I remember he uh, worked really hard building the torso and all that good stuff. There was a uh, neck, neck uh, throat slice. There was a lot of good effects in, in consumption. So, uh, yeah, that was our first time working with Ryan from the butcher shop. And then uh, we've uh, had the pleasure of working with those boys uh, ever since then. And our amazing cinematographer, Michael Davidson, who uh, shot the gorgeous and sexy familiar, uh, he came back um, and uh, we just we just had such a great rapport with the guy and uh, we love working together, such a good guy. Uh, he shot air and um, we couldn't be happier with that. I think that such a sexy piece of cinema that is going to live forever. And we, we just, yeah, we're just so thrilled with all the crew, the cast, everybody on air just really worked hard to bring, uh, to bring this amazing piece of cinema to life. And we're just super thrilled to hear people like yourself um, really like the movies and talk highly of them because we make them for, for yourself and the world, the public. Mm -hmm. So when we hear the uh, things you have to say, we're, it's, it's like music to our ears. There's like nothing better. So, I mean, Air is making the festival rounds now, and you guys have been getting, uh, so, uh, I guess... Air, yes. Mm -hmm. Air is making the festival rounds now. It's played about seven. It's, um, it's got about four screenings coming up. This month, it's playing New York Horror Film Festival in New York. Um, it's going to be playing Leeds International in the UK later this month. Um, we were in a festival coming up in Atlanta called Buried Alive. Um, and yeah, we've already had the amazing honor of playing fantastic film festivals like Fantasia, Toronto After Dark. Um, I really feel terrible. I know I'm leaving so many out and I don't want to, but every festival we've got into, we are just like so happy and honored to be a part of any film festival because we make these movies essentially to get onto the festival circuit and mm -hmm. be seen. So just get, just getting into these festivals, like I said, it's, it's an award in itself. And then if you happen to win an award, that's an amazing little bonus. And um, so after air, I mean, what's what's next for um, Fail Pictures? You mentioned a feature. Is that something you're going to be going to production on, uh, or at least pre-production in the next little while? Yeah, well, the plan is um, definitely. We're in, we're in very, very, very early stages of pre-pro now on a couple things. Um, I know Victor's just finishing up one of our scripts right now that we potentially uh, is going to be our debut feature film. We're hoping uh, Worm, the Worm feature, that uh, we have a short film, that uh, our short film Worm from 2010, it's done very well for us, it's won a handful of awards. That's essentially like the little calling card to the feature film. Uh, a lot of people shoot trailers to try to make a feature, well we actually have shot an award-winning short film on 16mm to like you know as a lead-in for the feature mm -hmm. um, and the feature film is it's a whole whole big business it's just it goes like so the short 15 minutes of the day in the life Jeffrey's out the feature film just it really tells you much much more 
as you know, much greater scale. A lot more characters are introduced and involved. And you really get to see a lot more of Jeffrey Dahmer. I can't wait to see it. I mean, the one thing, uh, you know, that you guys have built thus far, great um, artists, when they... When they build up a body of work i mean it's there's something there's this unifying sort of feel to it you know i mean when you see something by a certain filmmaker you say okay well that's a cronenberg i can tell right away you know and you know when i i'm watching your films and there's like the, you you're putting your that's a richard powell right there that's a richard powell i mean there's an imprint that you guys are made are, are leaving on these films and i'm it's incredible stuff i mean like i i'm watching i'm just like i'm excited for you guys and amazing like honestly that that fucking is the best thing i've ever heard and i know richard talks that too <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, Make it in the future and it's, it doesn't work. I mean, there's the 
room for expansion, and there's a lot of room for real depth, and we're yes. really diving into what these characters are. Mm-hmm. And if you think looking at uh, 20 minutes of warm or familiar air, you think we, we can, all of our story has been told in, in that amount of time, you're kidding yourself. Those are just the beginnings. There's uh, such larger rooms for expansion, and uh, they're like little teasers. Yeah, yeah. That's they are. Yeah, no, I mean, because these are, um, in its essence, uh, psychological studies, I mean, I can definitely see a lot more room for further exploration and a lot more room for further, um, let's just say, uh, messing up the minds of the audiences with some more. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I can't, I, can't, I can't wait to see what I can do with 90 minutes. Like 90 minutes of air, you know what I mean? Like, wow. I've got a feature, I've got a feature uh, concept of that that I, I know how I want to do it. You know what I mean? I, like I said, I, Worm's done and, and Familiar, I'm finishing it tonight. So, uh, not, like the 90 minutes of being inside of one of the characters from Worm Familiar's head, that's, that's going to be a lot. And I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of an impact that's going to have on people. I can't wait to see it, but uh, so I mean, uh, you know, so Air is making the festival rounds right now. But I mean, for those that want to see your previous short films, how yes, can they get I access? Was, to it? Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to crowbar in at any point now. <laughs> and, uh, for everybody in North America that wants to see Familiar, it's on iTunes right now, and uh, I highly suggest if you're interested um, to to see good cinema, thought provoking cinema that's really going to make a, a lasting impression on you. And you can see what we're discussing. What we've been discussing on this podcast, you can get a little taste. Unfortunately, Worm is not out for distribution to purchase. Um, but it's, uh, we're, we're working on that. We're working on uh, getting air. Uh, we're working on getting Worm available for everybody. So right now we have, um, just currently, yeah, right now Familiar is on iTunes just in North America. It's going to be released in the Europe and the UK in the very near future. Uh, we just wanted to do a trial run in North America and see how it went. And um, it's, 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 been, it's been doing fairly well, actually, on iTunes. It's been getting a lot of downloads, which we're very thrilled about. I'll just throw in my endorsement and say that it's it's well worth uh, whatever the cost it is to download it. What was it? It's, oh, it's, uh, it's two ninety nine, and seventy percent goes back to the filmmaker. So you'd uh-huh. really be helping us, basically. Produce our next movie because any money, any money. It's not about the profit whatsoever. Mm. The whole point was strategically to get familiar on iTunes for North America to be able to get their fingertips. It's an incredible piece of short cinema, and I mean, as I said before, everything you guys have done has left an, uh, an incredible impression on me. And and I knew that you know when I when I first saw Air, I said to myself, these guys have talent, and I want to talk to these guys because. I have a feeling they're really smart guys. And, you know, you've kind of proven that uh, through this interview. So I want to thank you for taking the time to talk. Yeah, thank you very much. You know, this really means a lot to give us a place to vent and and talk about our films and production company. I mean, we do it for for people like yourself and and for the world to embrace. I mean, without you guys and without the public going to buy tickets to film festivals, I mean, there's no point in making the movies. On the other thing... It is nice when whenever you come across anybody that is either a critic or just um, anybody that covers film, film festivals in general, anybody who is around it, um, anybody who kind of has an appreciation for some of, some of the stuff, the more serious stuff that we're trying to do, it's, it's refreshing because the thing is, is, a lot of times festival atmosphere kind of it, it engenders this attitude um, that everybody is everybody's more interested in the party film or the films that are a laugh. And again, 
there's room for that stuff, but there's also should be room for, you know, serious, serious cinematography as well. And um, it's, it's, it, 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 I might not see it, but a lot of the times films like ours do kind of get pushed to the side and ignored because it's not, at the end of it, you don't feel necessarily uplifted and you don't feel satisfied in the way that you kind of want to going into a movie. But, like, health food. Sometimes you need films like this to, to, to feed you and to nourish you and to keep the art form vital. And if everything is junk food, cinema, like a person, is going to just become unhealthy and sick and die. Mm -hmm. It's important that you have smart food, intelligent, intelligent film. Um, and so anybody that covers it, instead of doing, covering the next short that's about zombies or whatever you will, um, it just, it helps and it gives us a platform and shows us that there's still interest in it. Um, especially in North America, where, to be honest, it's not like Europe, it's not like South America and even Asia, where there is a lot more emphasis on serious cinema, just the funny stuff and the silly stuff too, but um, our stuff gets a lot more play and attraction outside of North America, so when anybody in North America like yourself takes an interest and tries to help point it out and point people in this direction, it's very helpful and we just really appreciate it. So thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, we need it. So. <laughs> well, like I said, it's well deserved, and I mean, you know, I've I've always maintained that, um, you know, genre films, particularly the horror genre. I mean, people sometimes dismiss it just because it is what it is. You know, it's horror. But the reality is, horror is um, can be great art. It can be challenging. It can Absolutely. be cerebral. Yeah. And whenever I, when I find horror films that that are art, I mean, I just I just want to champion them and promote them because, you know, it's my favorite genre. And yeah, of course, as you said, like with the analogy, sure, I mean, there are times when I'd like to eat, um, you know, uh, a Big Mac. I don't know. I don't really eat many Big Macs. But I mean, <laughs> but then there are other times when you want to have a really good steak dinner, you know? And Absolutely. what I'm seeing from you guys is good steak dinner. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm excited for you guys because I, I see talent and it's, it's I just... I can't wait to see you guys put out next. So, once again, thank, thank you. you so much, man. That, yeah, honestly, Jeff, that, that means so much to us. It really does. And um, I just wanted to also encourage everyone listening to check out FatalPictures.com to uh, find out all the up-and-coming air screenings. Again, check out Familiar on iTunes. Uh, follow us on Twitter at FatalPictures. And we're actually on Instagram as well now, at Fatal Pictures. Hey guys, well, have a wonderful uh, night. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate it, and we hope you have a fabulous night. It's been an absolute pleasure.
Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu.